The reading is taken for 1 Corinthians, chapter 3, verses 1 to 15. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder, and someone else is building on it. But each one should be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive his reward. If it is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. This is the word of the Lord. Well, let's uh, pray together as we come to God's word. Paul says, Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things great. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would... Uh, make us grow today, that your, your word that has uh, been spoken to us, um, that we have heard, would do its work, uh, would grow, would um, transform us, that we would be ready for that day uh, of Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. So we've come to chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians. And Paul is beginning to bring together everything that he's been saying uh, in chapters 1 and 2 and really uh, applying it to the Corinthians. He's he's taken some time uh, to really dig down to the the root of the problem. Uh, The divisions that we heard about in chapter 1 verse 12, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, I follow Christ... Uh, and that he refers to again in verse 4 of our reading. And he's come to the conclusion at the beginning of chapter 3 that the problem with the Corinthians is this. They're just not growing up. Or as he puts it in verse 2, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready So he 
begins to apply all that he's been saying about the, the subversive wisdom of the cross, the, the foolishness of God. And he applies it first to their immaturity in, in verses 1 to 4, uh, then to himself and Apollos, to give the Corinthians a true understanding of, of what they're doing as teachers in verses 5 to 9. Uh, and then in verses 10 to 15, he he moves to encourage them to build in the light of eternity. So we'll um, follow through uh, those sections as we go. And he starts in verses 1 to 4 by addressing their immaturity. And it's important that we notice that Paul recognizes that they are Christians. He says they are in Christ at the end of verse 1. But they are so immature, mere infants, worldly, he says, that their their Christian faith is almost completely obscured by their non-Christian living and thinking. There's a huge difference between the spiritual person that Paul has talked about uh, in chapter 2, verse 6. We do speak a message of wisdom among the mature, he says, and the Corinthians, who he says, "I, I couldn't address you as spiritual. Now, the Corinthians could, could talk the talk. They, all their idols were Christian leaders. I mean, that's the ironic thing. You know, they're not rushing after kind of the latest um, you know, Greek philosopher. They're, they're saying, oh, yeah, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos. This is great. We love Christian leaders. And they were really passionate about it, passionate enough to argue a lot with each other about it. Uh, And in chapter 1, verses 5 to 7, Paul says they've been enriched in every way in all your speaking and in all your knowledge. You do not lack any spiritual gift. So they've got all this Christian talk and and all these Christian words, but it's, it's just Christian wrapping paper on what is underneath a thoroughly worldly present. They, they sound Christian in all the things they talk about, but, but they filled those words with a completely different meaning. And so that's why Paul has spent so long in chapters 1 and 2 redefining wisdom, redefining power, redefining maturity in the light of the cross of Jesus Christ, rather than in the worldly terms that the Corinthians were using. He had to reshape their understanding so that they thought of things in terms of Jesus Christ and his cross. And he now has to redefine their idea of maturity. And I think it's, it's a distinction that can make us a little bit nervous um, we, can, we can get worried about creating a, a two-tier Christianity, you know, the, the, the people that, you know, the regular Christians that, yeah, God loves, and then the really kind of the special ones that God really loves, you know, and whether that's the kind of uh, the clergy, lay people divide, or the, uh, the uh, you know, theologian, normal person divide, what, what not normal person, <laughs> sorry to all my Wycliffe tutors, um, but, but whatever divide, if we, we worry, don't we, about, about creating this distinction between Christians. Because after all, we're, we're saved by grace. Paul says in Romans 3, there is no difference. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace. There's no distinction 
he says. But there is a distinction, a right distinction between the mature believer and the infant in Christ that Paul says here. He, he speaks to them differently. He says in 2.13, we, we speak expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the spirit does not accept the sp- things that come from the spirit of God. But the spiritual man makes judgments about all things. So there's a, there's a difference between the non-spiritual and the spiritual. There's a difference between the spiritual, the mature believer, and the infant in Christ. Uh, Charles Spurgeon, the Baptist preacher of the 19th century, put it like this. He said, there is a point in grace, that is, there is a point in, in Christian growth, which is as much above the ordinary Christian as the ordinary Christian is above the worldling. There is a point in grace which is as much above the ordinary Christian as the ordinary Christian is above the worldling. That, that's a huge challenge, isn't it? Are we maturing as Christians, or are we just getting better at using Christian words to wrap up our worldly thoughts? Do we cover our, our quarrels and our differences by just saying, well, we're just particularly passionate about that ministry or this leader or that cause? Would Paul address us as spiritual or as worldly? Well, he then wants us and he wants them to grow as Christians, to be mature. So he moves on uh, in verses 5 to 9 to talk about how a maturing Christian should think about their leaders the problem in Corinth has been this great division between uh, the different groups, Paul, Apollos, Cephas, Christ, all these people following their different leaders. So Paul says, well, fine, let's, let's think about these guys. What is Apollos? What is Paul, verse 5? What, what are these leaders that you're so keen to boast about? Uh, are they the next big thing? Are they the answer to the church's problems? Are they the ones who are guaranteed to change your life? If you come and hear this guy, he will make the difference. What are they? Well, the answer comes, doesn't it? Only servants. Only servants doing a job that they were given to do. Uh, Waiters, if you like, given food to put on the table. Or, to use Paul's metaphor, farm workers given seed to sow and water to pour on it. Are they the next big thing? Well, no, actually, they're they're just servants. So, all that advertising you've put up for their latest visit to Corinth, well, you can take that down. They're they're just servants, table waiters. Are they the answer to all the church's problems? Well, no, verse 7, neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. Well, maybe maybe they're competing for converts, uh, you know, with guarantees to change your life. Again, no, verse 8. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. How does the maturing Christian think about their leaders? Well, with gratitude for what God has done through them. Uh, The Christian leader, to switch it around briefly, is to be like John the Baptist who said of Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. Or 
like George Whitfield, the 18th century evangelist, who said, let the name of George Whitfield perish so long as Christ only is exalted. The maturing believer looks past their leader to Jesus Christ, who the leader is pointing to. But then, if it's, if it's wrong to idolize our leaders, in verses 1 to 4, because uh, they're only servants, in verses 5 to 9, well, maybe it doesn't really matter who we listen to. If, if they're nothing, if, if God's the one who gives the growth, maybe we can just do whatever we want. Or, or for a teacher in Corinth reading this, well, maybe neither Paul nor Apollos is anything, well, it doesn't really matter what I say then. I can say whatever I want. If God gives it to grow, that's great. If not, who, who worries? Who cares? So Paul has to correct this in verses 10 to 15. He says it does matter who you listen to. It does matter how they teach. Not because of who they are, not because of their personality or their particular gift, but because of how they teach and what they're building on. Verse 10, he says, each one should be careful how he builds. Why? Verse 11, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. We must build on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Lots of people outside the church would want the church, I think, to be to be on a different foundation, ideally. Uh, maybe a, a foundation of God, because then, you know, every religion believes in God and we can all build on the same foundation together. Um, others perhaps want Christians to build on a foundation of being good. I mean, that's what the church is there for. They're there to, to be good and to, to help people. That's the foundation. Maybe a foundation uh, of tolerance um, is quite a popular one these days. Uh, and these things uh, may be good things, but they cannot serve as the foundation. They, they might be built on the foundation, but they cannot be the foundation. We must build, Paul says, on the foundation of Jesus Christ. But we must also build according to the foundation. Look again at at verse 10. Paul says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. Now, it would be easy to think that Paul is saying something like, well, I did a really good job uh, because I'm an expert builder uh, and all these other guys who are coming in um, may not be quite as good as I am, so they need to be careful how they build. We need to build expertly. Uh, But if we thought that, if the Corinthians thought that, well, then the danger comes that they're bringing in all their worldly assumptions again of what is good and what is bad. So, so good might become intellectually rigorous or emotionally powerful or professionally done. Uh, and then bad, uh, the things we don't want to see, might be not very exciting or, or too simple or, or the technology doesn't work. Because, because we've got to be experts, right? I mean, that's what Paul says. He's an, he's an expert builder. That, that's how he builds. That's how we're meant to build. But the word he uses for for expert is the word that throughout chapters 1 and 2 has been translated as wise. Paul says we should be 
wise builders. So what is wise? Well, in chapter 1, verse 23, wise is a crucified saviour. In chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, wise is God choosing what is foolish and weak and low and despised. In chapter 2, verse 3, wise is Paul coming in weakness and in fear and with much trembling so that their faith might not rest on God's wisdom, on men's wisdom, sorry, but on God's power. That's what wise is. That's what it is for Paul to be a wise builder. I think a church slogan that said, welcoming the low, despised and weak, might not be very attractive to many people, but that is what Paul says, what the church is. Foolish, weak, low, despised people demonstrating the incredible power of God through the wisdom of the cross. And we must build wisely because, Paul says, there'll be a day when when our work is tested. It's the day Paul mentions in verse 13 and the day he spoke about earlier in chapter 1, verse 8, the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so because we're in Advent, which, uh, as Peter said, is is a time where we can traditionally look ahead to that day, this is a good time for us to be thinking how we're building. You see, just as the distinction in verses 1 to 4 is between mature and immature believers, here, the judgment of the day is not the judgment between Christians and non-Christians. This, this judgment is between the worthwhile and the worthless work of Christians. Paul says in verse 13, the day will be revealed, uh, sorry, his work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire and the fire will test the quality of each man's work. He says we we have a choice to build with gold, silver and costly stones or wood, hay and straw. Now, wood, hay and straw are are easy to build with. I helped my dad put up a home-based garden shed once and we did it within a day. It didn't take very long Um, and it hasn't been tested with fire. But wood, hay and straw, they're they're more common, they're, they're easy to use. It doesn't take much to build with wood, hay and straw. And it is possible to build with wood, hay, and straw on the foundation of Jesus Christ. You see, everyone building here that Paul is talking to is building on the foundation of Jesus Christ. But how are they building? Gold, silver, and costly stones, well, it takes more effort. It it costs more. They're they're harder work to build with. But he says they, they will last. They will pass through the fire. So so that's Paul's question for us this morning. What are we building with on the foundation of Jesus Christ? What are we building with in in our conversations over coffee? What are we building with in our house groups? What are we building with in our lives, in what we read and what we listen to and what we watch? What are we building with 
on the foundation of Jesus Christ. The, the foundation is, is there, and the foundation will last. Uh, that, is, that is guaranteed. We have everything we need to build well. Paul says elsewhere, in, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Um, Peter, in, in his second letter, says uh, that we've been given God's great and very precious promises. We, we have everything we need to build. Uh, and we have the foundation in place. And we have the promise, in verse 14, of a reward on the day of Jesus Christ. So let's press on to maturity. Let's regard our leaders rightly as they point us to Jesus Christ. And let's build for eternity with things that will last as wise builders with the wisdom of the cross. Let's pray. If any man builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hail, straw, his work will be shown for what it is, because the day will bring it to light. Lord Jesus, as we wait for your birth, remembering that glorious first coming, we pray that you would help us to prepare for your second coming and to build well as wise builders with work that will last to eternity. Amen.